0: Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Matters Educational podcast. Clara Fiorentini joined me for a conversation about all things educational. Clara spoke about her own schooling, her teaching and lecturing experience, her blog, her new Phonics program and a lot more. How are you? Good, and yourself.
1: Great, thanks.
0: <laughs> so we'll um, start off with a bit about your teaching background. Uh, tell me a bit about it. Uh, so why did you choose to become a teacher?
1: Why did I choose to become a teacher? <laughs> Very good question. Um, I come from a family of teacher and educators. so. Um, I was always very stubborn and adamant that I wasn't going to be a teacher. It's not for me. I'm not doing it. Nope, nope, nope. Even though I kind of always knew that that's what I was drawn to and it's what I wanted to do, even if I didn't want to admit to it. Um, I was very passionate about English. I thought I wanted to be a journalist, but I knew I never really, you know, was going to be brave enough to do something like that. I loved the writing element of it, but I wasn't, I definitely wasn't going to be pushy enough to, you know, look for interviews and things like that. So... I went to do teaching in Pats and the appealing side of that for me was the fact that you could do an academic subject with it so I got to do my English alongside the teaching so that was grand but the the strange thing about it was I went to the biggest school or secondary school in the country at the time that uh, community school so there was I think about 1500 pupils when I was in first year wow. which was huge and then I landed in Pats on my first day and it was smaller like in terms of numbers and the campus itself was tiny you could have dropped it into a corner of the secondary school so that was strange because it's not really what you expect you know college to be um, it was quite surreal um, but I enjoyed it I got through the three years didn't particularly love all the elements of you know lectures and things but I lived for the teaching practice side of things it wasn't always easy but um, by the time I got to teaching practice I knew I was doing what I wanted to do and it was like, just get through this and get me to school.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned teaching practice Are there. Have you any interesting stories or interesting anecdotes for teaching practice?
1: Um, teaching practice feels like 100 years ago now when you think back. Like it was, oh God, over 10 years since I had my last teaching practice. Um, I just remember from my first placement, when you were paired up with somebody, I really enjoyed that. Um, it took... You know the scariness out of it um but i just remember um obviously i have a, an unusual second name fiorentini there's not too many of them in the country but we were all you know standing around the corridor in, um, i think it's called the quad area impacts and the you know the schools were listed and you know who the first years were paired up with and i just heard this oh i must be paired up with an erasmus student and somebody, you know, was trying to pronounce my name incorrectly several times and then I was like, no, no, that's me, I'm Clara, I'm from Donegal actually <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, and then it was grand actually, we, we got on great and teaching practice was fine, I didn't really have any scary experiences, thank God um, I just remember um, for one inspection doing the Hakka Gaelic because it was shacked in the Gaelga, wow. so I thought, yeah, we'll do the Hakka Gaelic." But the supervisor fell asleep and at the end of, you know, when we went for a little meeting afterwards, he yeah, was like, that, yeah. um, Oh, you know, I saw on your plan you were going to do the Hakagilic and I didn't notice that, you know, you didn't do it. I was really disappointed. And I was such, you know, a, a timid person at that stage. I, I had not the heart to be like, well, you fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so I just took it on the chin and said nothing, which in hindsight was silly and, you know, you learn to speak up for yourself, I think, over time. Absolutely, it yeah. is
0: an acquired skill.
1: Yeah. I went to a little uh, rural school in North Donegal, like it was next stop uh, Iceland basically, um, but it was brilliant. It was such a wonderful community of people and it definitely shaped you know, who I am as a person today. I loved primary school. Um, but in that area back then, the dropout rate after first year and secondary school was extremely high. Um, I think my sixth class was the first year that everybody from that school, you know, finished first year. So that was a huge um, bonus. Um, Literacy levels were low, um, so there was a big push on literacy in the primary school, um, you know, in helping young people move on in the world and break out of the constraints, you know, that may have held previous generations behind. I have lovely memories of poetry, novels and stories, um, creative writing competitions and things like that in primary school. Um, plays and dramas, just lots of language, um, so I'd say that had a big part to play in my interest in literacy later in life.
0: Um, you're also a part-time lecturer in education, um, can you tell me a bit about that, Like, what subject area do you specialise in?
1: Well, I'm not actually part time anymore. I have just um, accepted a full time lecturing position, so I'm actually leaving school now uh, wow, this brilliant. summer. Thank you, um, and I'm going to be lecturing in education, um, specializing in literacy. So, um, but for the past almost three years, I've been lecturing part time on a few uh, degrees now. Uh, but most of my coursework has revolved around early literacies. Um, but I've also done a lot of work on play based learning and senior literacy too. Um, as I mentioned myself, you know, in college, I didn't particularly enjoy the big lectures where we sat, you know, watching somebody click through a PowerPoint and scrolling through, you know, handouts. Yeah. Very few of us took anything in. I didn't enjoy it, so I think that influenced the way that I present my content and, you know, create my lectures, and even my teaching. I think was impacted by that. Um, I love lecturing. I get such a buzz off it, but I do think it's partly because of the type of students that I work with. The college that I've been in, the the students are really eager to learn. Like, um, they're very involved. They've great ideas. They give their um, activities and learning experiences a hundred percent. And it, it's so nice to work with students like that. Um, maybe it was different when I was in college, but it, you know, people weren't as you know keen to get involved. You know, they sat back a lot. Um, but I try my best to balance it out with plenty of active learning and make things a little more workshop shop based because. If we're not inspiring the students to, you know, by being, by teaching them like that, how do we expect them to go out and inspire the kids then? Cause they're gonna stand up and use didactic styles of teaching then for the children, which is not what we want, obviously.
0: Absolutely. And um, tell me this about lecturing. How is the buzz of lecturing different to the buzz of the primary classroom?
1: Well, it's quite similar, but uh, obviously you're dealing with adults. So the conversations are slightly different. Um, you get a lot of feedback. You have great discussions, and the ideas that you're giving the students—you know—a lot of them are taking them out and then putting them in practice. So you're still technically teaching, and you're, it's still filtering down to the children at some level. Um, and there's nothing nicer than when a student comes up to you—you know—and lets you know that you know an idea that you suggested, they've tried it on placement, and it works well. And you know, oh, my supervisor was happy with it, and you know, I'm really glad I tried it, and so on. So that's a reward inside of it.
0: Uh, you manage a blog at uh, littlemissteacher.com. What inspired you to start blogging and what makes your blog stand out?
1: <laughs> well, um, as I mentioned, I love uh, English. I love writing. Um, probably my biggest passion is writing and, you know, ultimately I've always wanted to be an author and I've done lots of little writing courses and things over the years. Um, so after a few years teaching, I went back and did my master's in St. Pat's. Um, I did the master's in children's literature children's literature um, which was lovely and I remember seeing it on the wall on a notice board um, when I was doing my VED and I thought I'm gonna go back and do that and a lot of people said oh you know why are you doing that that's not gonna help you be a principal or that's not gonna you know help you get up in the school and I, you know it's not I didn't do teaching to work my way up I didn't I never wanted to be a principal um. I wanted to study things that I was interested in, so going back to two years on children's literature was just the dream, it was such a lovely course. We had um, Siobhan Parkinson, she was the children's laureate at the time, so she did a whole module with us on creative writing, which I loved, but then when the masters ended, um, I guess there was a lull, and I'm one of those people who you know likes having something to do, I like being busy, if I'm not busy, you know, I tend to get bored. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And I'm, an, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. I like, I like working, <laughs> I like studying. Um, and it was just towards the end of the master's, somebody had mentioned something about a blog or blogging and I was like, what is that? So I looked into it and um, that's how it began. And it was also a way of documenting my journey uh, into the infant end of the school, um, I had been teaching for five years, I think, at the top end of school. I had fourth class for two, and I was going into my third year in sixth class. And foolishly, I was getting very comfortable there. I loved the senior end. I loved the creative writing, the projects, and just even the crack you have with the older kids. And then one May afternoon, my principal asked me, "Would I go to juniors next year?" And I nearly fell down. I, I, I wasn't up for it at all I thought oh my god I had senior infants once on teaching practice I know nothing about juniors and um, but I couldn't very well say no uh, me being me so I went for it and um, yeah the blog then was my way of kind of documenting um, the different ideas and things that I tried out and I started following a lot of the American teaching blogs like there's a huge blogosphere over there um, particular um, Minds in Bloom by Rachel Lynette, uh, Teaching with a Mountain View, Uh, it's a girl called Mary that runs that one, and then Hello Literacy by Jen Jones. Um, And then the blog kind of evolved into something that was, you know, documenting play-based learning and then literacy and kind of just went from there.
0: Okay, and you mentioned that you documented your experiences in the internet classroom. Did Mm -hmm. you document the things that didn't go well uh, as well? Um, Or just the things that you had success with?
1: Well, it's hard. It I think in Ireland, as well, we're very reluctant to talk about to our failings. Yeah. yeah. um but I suppose I did document the things that went well and what I found well. But, like, in the past year, I've used Instagram a lot more, so, you know, you can do your live stories and chat there, so yeah. I would talk about things that worked and things that didn't, but that's something that I feel that like we probably should be talking more about, the things that don't work and ideas that didn't work well, but I have put up, you know, pictures of things that were a disaster when it comes to play, like there was one day we were doing the coffee shop and I thought it'd be a great idea to let the kids play with tea and coffee at the water area. Real
0: tea and coffee.
1: Yeah, which was grand until somebody came to the door and literally it was a 10 second interval and I turned around and there was just coffee, tea everywhere. And it took about two weeks to get the smell of coffee out of the classroom. <laughs> the kids loved it, it was just sensory heaven and all the rest, <laughs> but the mess was not great. Um,
0: but it was a learning Yeah, and I tell yourself. the students,
1: you know, here in the college about it all the time. So after being at the senior end for five years, and feeling I had no real knowledge of how to teach junior infants. I automatically did three summer courses, spent my summer on Pinterest. Uh, My best friend Danielle had been teaching in a junior school for four years at that stage, so I literally had her plagued. I got her to bring me into her school, look at display boards. um, But to be honest, it was probably the best thing that I've ever been asked to do, I've never looked back and you know if it wasn't for teaching Joan at the Junior End I probably wouldn't be where I am now.
0: You are a co-author on a new programme called Sounds Like and tell me a bit about that, what does the programme offer and is it evidence based and also what would you say to teachers and schools who are considering switching to a new programme for next year? Okay, if you I remember all that. That's a lot of questions. So if you want me to repeat? I'll say a few. Oh, you're um,
1: Yeah. So, sounds like Phonics is something that I'm really proud of. It's probably the proudest, you know, I've been of my work so far. I'm very lucky to have just found myself within a really wonderful team of educators, who all had the same, you know, idea and vision for literacy in the junior end of the school. Um, phonics is something that's, you know, a big topic. In Ireland, And it kind of came out of nowhere and people jumped on to a trend of, you know, taking phonics kind of out of English and out of, you know, reading and out of their literacy instruction. So, you know, schools would have, you know, their English, geography, whatever on the timetable. And then, you know, comes 11 o'clock and it's like, oh, we're going to do phonics now. And I could never really get my head around that. And it was something, you know, when I went to the junior end, I remember being handed a manual and like, oh, this is for teaching phonics. And I'd be like, grand you know but you know but it's not as if it wasn't wasn't part of your english um so i found i spent a lot of time designing my own resources and creating things to yes teach phonics and tick that box but also make it contextualized for the children so that they were yes they were learning the alphabet and the alphabetic principle but they were learning their sound and name and the formation all together so it wasn't this you know alien concept whenever it came to putting it all together and learning to read. So Sounds Like Phonics is pretty unique in terms of that it's a, it's not a workbook, it's a programme. So the digital is the anchor of the programme. We then have four activity books to support the learning that comes from the digital. We also have a teacher's manual that will guide you through each of those components. Now, although there's an activity book, it's still multi-sensory and you know, we really pushed and pushed and pushed at the publishers to ensure that our multisensory concepts were included. Otherwise, it, it, it was a no-go for us. So we have tactile letters, um, which are actually had to be printed in Spain uh, because it couldn't be done over here, apparently. <laughs> um, so the children, you know, are feeling their letters and so on. And there's. Um, a very natural progression into blending the sounds and reading words and then reading, you know, short snippets of text and so on. Yeah, so basically, Sounds Like Phonics is a multi-sensory contextualised approach to letter knowledge. Um, There's nothing like it on the market and that's something we're very proud of. Um, We all agreed that phonics is something that's become isolated in terms of literacy. Uh, It became a trend. It became its own thing on the timetable, uh, which it never should have been. Um, So for us, it was very important that we were getting phonics back into reading and that, you know, it was being taught in a contextualised way. Um, You asked if it's evidence-based, so it definitely is. Um, It's a team of uh, three very experienced educators and myself, (laughs) (laughs) bringing (laughs) bringing my own experience to it as well. Nothing here has been churned out, you know, there's a... A tendency for you know programs and workbooks to be churned out very quickly in the country, and um, without much thought behind them. But um, this has been up to three years of work now. Um, there, one of the authors has just um, completed their PhD in phonemic awareness, and like there's so much experience behind this, and there's not not one element that we've put into it that can be questioned in terms of, you know, not being useful in terms of learning to read.
0: Everything's there for a reason. For a reason,
1: there's no busy work. Everything's purposeful. Um, the glance, um, you know, you might think there's colouring in it, but it's actually um, letter discrimination, visual discrimination work. It's all very carefully planned and there for a very specific reason. Um, so you said then, uh, what would you say to teachers in schools who are considering switching maybe to a new program? Pick ours! <laughs> have to say that but I think it's important that you know the workbook culture yes is on the way out but this you know it's not a workbook it's a program and it's very important to understand that the books support and reinforce the learning of the digital. Um, as I said it's a multi-sensory approach so it's important you know with young learners to understand that the senses are the pathway to the brain. And this program embeds letter knowledge in continuous text, and that's so important. Um, And it's Irish. And it's Irish. It's all theme-based, so it's very easily incorporated to your ASTHR planning as well. And um, each exercise is aligned with the learning outcomes of the new primary language curriculum. So that's all there for your ease of planning as well, and also because it's very important, obviously, that it relates to the curriculum. And one of the nicest things about the programme as well is that, yes, she said it's Irish, but we have a lot of, um, you know, digital work and there's videos of uh, a child, an Irish child with the Irish accent saying, um, you know, the letter sound and it's a child's mouth as well. So, it, you know, it's making it child friendly as well. And, you know, the children are going to relate to it that little bit more than seeing, you know, an adult or just, you know, a monster on the screen speaking, do you know what I mean?
0: How do you think teachers can be better supported professionally
1: well i suppose there are always areas for improvement you know in all elements of you know supporting teachers um i think the introduction of dry head, or dry head, it depends where you're from and <laughs> um, there's a lot of positive to that and in, in terms of you know creating in-school supports for the, the nqts and i think nqts are you know one of the people who need to be supported the most especially when they come out first because it can be difficult like it, it's it's a big jump it from college to school, very much so Um, so I think greater liaison between schools and colleges is key as well um, and that's something you hear a lot from students and NQTs online a lot of them you know go out and they feel very isolated and afraid to ask questions and so on Um, mentoring NQTs is very important but obviously I don't think just anybody can be a mentor, and I think just because you volunteer to be a mentor doesn't necessarily mean you should be one. Yeah. Um, and that you know the mentors aren't just let on with it. I think you know that they should be followed up on as well. Um, it can be a difficult time for you know a teacher if they're paired up with somebody who they don't necessarily gel with or mightn't feel they can express their opinions. I think people need to learn to accept that it's okay to ask for help and that it's not a sign of failing or shortcomings if you're asking for help. Um, I think it's very important to create a school community of mentors and you're not leaving it all to one person and not letting the NQT become the pariah of the situation as well and people sometimes need to just take a step back and remember that we were all in that position once and none of us and nobody can say that they did, nobody came to school you know knowing everything and we all have to learn the ropes. And um something that comes up a lot as well from the students is, you know, they go out to schools and they're often placed in classrooms where they're not necessarily wanted or they arrive on placement and you know the teacher's like, Well I, I didn't actually ask for a student but I've got you and like teaching practice is hard enough without having to go through that.
0: True, it's not helpful when you know when you'll be told that you're not really welcome.
1: Yeah, and I, I like I know it's hard, like the colleges need Um, classrooms for the teachers to go out to but I do think that it's you know up to the schools to discuss it with the teachers a little bit as well and see you know are the students going into an environment where they're going to a learn from the teacher and be be welcomed you know
0: so these days uh, teachers receive a lot of information of varying quality uh, that comes at them from every corner how can teachers be better informed about what constitutes good research-informed educational practice and how can they know the difference between someone's opinion online and someone who has gone to the trouble of doing the research?
1: Yeah, that's a tricky one. Um, it's like just social media in general. We're, you know, bombarded with stuff constantly and it's becoming that way in the teaching world as well. And, you know, just because something's there doesn't mean that it's fact. Uh, And at the end of the day, it's up to you to inform yourself. I think people have to remember that they're capable uh, of being creative and coming up with their own ideas too. We are really lucky in Ireland that we have an extremely qualified teaching profession. Uh, The B.E.D.s and the P.M.E, you know, it's an extremely tough slog to get through and it takes a certain calibre of person to come through those degrees. So then, you know, there's no reason why those people can't, you know, bring their own creativity to their job. I think you know with online platforms and things as well if you're unsure or you know if you think something is questionable then question it you know ask the person how do you know this what's your research behind this what's your experience in this area and if people are authentic then they're not going to have any problem explaining it Um, i suppose that's the dangerous thing about you know social media you can have people preaching to you but they might not have a notion about the topic in question at all or experience in that area Some of the advice you see dished out sometimes is crazy and completely unethical. You know, it's a bit like Dr. Google. Some things need to be taken with a pinch of salt. Absolutely.
0: Um,
1: I do think upskilling is key, though, and that's only going to come from yourself. Um, Education's constantly evolving. Um, The people who think they know everything and have nothing to learn are the people who have the most to learn. Um, We have great CPD in this country, um, but CPD, it does need to become something beyond the EPV days. Um, we have a tendency to pick the handiest courses, you know, to fast track to the course days, which is totally understandable, um, but this is why I think CPD needs to be more embedded during the school year, you know, not in a forceful didactic way where you have to do it or else, but you know, wouldn't it be nice if we had an area that, you know, we could upskill in every year. Um, one of the nicest things about our school was our principal had a great attitude towards CPG. He would, you know, let us go on whatever courses we wanted, but just on the condition that um when we come back on completion of the course that we presented our learnings or a little overview to the staff at a staff meeting or Crook Park hours and it was excellent. Um at the start we were like, Oh God, no, we're never doing anything ever again. But it was actually it was a really good way of like, you know, recapping on the learning and bring it back to the staff and it kinda encouraged you to Branch out and do things. Um, so, at, you know, at the end of the day, as well, you are ultimately responsible for the class in front of you and you're responsible for your own knowledge and, you know, your own development. Education is not static, so we shouldn't be. Um, no two classes are the same, and something that works well for one class may not work for another, and it's the same with any resource or idea. You know, only you can truly know your class and only you are capable of choosing quality resources, quality uh, content. And adapting your teaching styles to suit the children in front of you. And by you know, undervaluing quality or you know just going with the flow, it's only the children in front of you that you're selling out at the end of the day.
0: Can I go back to social media just for a moment? Have you ever been on the receiving end of unfair criticism? And if so, how did you respond?
1: Um to be honest, I haven't had anything too much. I just remember way back at the start, um, I had a picture of, of the Guelga in our school and there was a, a poster, you know, over the infant's artwork or whatever it was, I can't mm. even remember now, but I just remember it was Ninon Ninon Mora, I think, and there was a Fada missing and... You know somebody wrote some big spiel up underneath it on Facebook about how this is the the ruination of the Irish language and teachers like <sighs> they shouldn't be posting online and you know somebody else wrote this hurts my Sula and all this oh, and I was wow. just like come on like you know as far away I'll get brisht in that but like you know that was a bit uncalled for I thought but like you know whatever you know people have little to be doing but you know there are times where people should be called out and you know there's a lot of resources going around and you know, people are buying them but like they're not grammatically correct. You know, there's a lot of bad the stuff books. out there. Yeah. And, in English and Yeah, and I think if students or, you know, teachers in, in practice, you know, are buying things and they're faulty or not correct, then you need to go back about it. Like it's like you wouldn't go into the shop and buy something that's broken, so you shouldn't be buying something online, you know, that's of a poor quality either.
0: What makes your blog stand out?
1: Oh God, cringe for my life. <laughs> no, I I don't know. I don't get too caught up um, in what's going on around me. Um, maybe it's age, but I'm not into you know the competing for like stuff. I don't think the teaching blog world is about that really. Anyway, I'm just you know paddling my own canoe, sharing good ideas, and using my platform to help students and teachers as much as I can. I suppose I'm just trying to create what I wish I had myself as a go-to when I was a student. Um, my blog is a hobby, uh, I'm not really sales oriented or in it for, you know, getting free things sent out, which is glaringly obvious with some platforms. Don't get me wrong, I'm all for sharing resources, you know, but if they're of a good standard and error free, um, as you mentioned already, you know, the amount of grammatically incorrect stuff out there is kind of scary, um, and it's really important, you know, something as little as considering the font you use when you're making resources is so important in terms of you know making your resources suitable to all learners you know you can't just use every, any type of font if you want you know children with dyslexia to be able to use the resources too um, it's not hard to inform yourself but really like you know the blogosphere is a lovely place for educators and fortunately you know it isn't as toxic as some of the other realms of social media and there are, really are some brilliant Irish teacher blogs out there and um, I just would worry that you know there are some that hone in on the naivety and inexperience of students and NQTs. Um, but I do think it's something people are copping on to. Um, I don't know, what you see is what you get with mine, I just like to think I'm promoting evidence-based good practice, um, but a bit of play-based learning and being honest with readers and followers at all times. Um, I keep things realistic, I give practical advice and practice what I preach.
0: I wonder if the initial teacher education centres should start dealing with this uh, as part of their courses and um, the social media aspect of of teaching and how to spot what's good, how to avoid what's not. And what do you think about that?
1: Hmm, I can see where you're coming from. I I just I can understand that it would be it would be very hard to rein it all in. Yeah. Um, and obviously everybody's free to, you know, have their own platform and do whatever. But I just I think it's important that, you know, students are educated on what is good yeah. and what isn't and then they can make up their minds for themselves. I think, you know, understanding things like font and um, you know, the, the types of resources that you should be using with children and, you know, what's purposeful learning and what's, you know, busy work um is very important.
0: Should educational researchers have a background in teaching and how much can we value educational research if the researchers have no first-hand experience within the classroom?
1: A lovely difficult question, Dara, thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, Yes and no. I mean, obviously, like, it would help, If they had a background in teaching, but sometimes you know different people may need to research different aspects of schooling for various reasons, and they need to be familiar with the classroom. But I don't necessarily think you need a background in teaching to qualify you to do research. I think once there's a close liaison with teachers and practitioners to keep things balanced, then I think that's okay. Um, I do think if you're drawing up frameworks and curricula, then ideally some classroom experience would make sense, so things are grounded in the reality of teaching, and you know not necessarily so idealistic.
0: What's your favourite book within the field of education and tell me why?
1: Okay, I couldn't pick one. I had to pick two. That's okay. Is that alright? Yeah, sure. uh, it's a very tricky one and I could have listed about 40 but um, fortunately I've narrowed it down to two. Uh, the first one that I think everybody who's a teacher should buy is Developing Children's Critical Thinking Through Picture Books. Um, that's Mary Roach's book. Um, so it's a guide um, for primary and early years students and teachers um, on how to use, you know, uh, picture books to develop critical thinking. And it's such a good book; it's a gem. I would advise everybody to have it because I know a lot of my content is based around picture books and children's literature. And I still think people think those are just for the junior end of the school, but you know they're very much not. They they there's so much learning within them for all age groups, including sixth class. Oh, absolutely, definitely and then the other book uh it's like it's it's my bible but I can't believe you know I've only um come across it in the past few years since I started lecturing and it's uh, it's called the teacher teaching reading source book and it's um by three authors uh Honig, Diamond and Gutlon um it's a pricey book um you can definitely source older editions on Amazon um but I think it's a resource that all schools should have and if you have, you know a specific interest in literacy then i really advise you try and get your hands on it because it's got you know a description and a definition of everything literacy wise but also there are some really really brilliant resources in it and you know um, you know photocopiable photocopiable materials that you can use in the classroom yourself it it's brilliant i really i would advise you to get on to your principal and get one for your school
0: can you see yourself writing a book about education Um,
1: Well, yeah, I would like to think so. Um, I am embarking on a PhD now, so um, I think at the heart of my research, um, I hopefully will be developing something that teachers will be able to use in their own practice. Um, Ireland is an amazing source you know of educational research there's so much here but I, I feel that we tend to go overseas a lot you know to to look for the best advice when there's so much here and it's such a pity um but also with research as well I think the people who the research is written for aren't the people who are reading it um I know um you're not going to just necessarily sit you know go and pick out a PhD and sit down and read it but I do think um something i i, I do uh, yes i'll just say yes i'm going <laughs> to design something yeah definitely going to write something that will be of use to teachers in the future great watch I'll, this space <laughs> I, I look forward to
0: purchasing your book <laughs> so in terms of teaching in general i suppose like it's electric now um what is your priority for next year
1: um well focus on my new role um I did tell my school though that I'm not clocking out completely like I want to keep up links with the school and I think that's a nice thing about lecturing and education as well that you still have such you know close links to the schools as well and I, I, I do want to get out to my own school as much as I can and um, I had a wonderful 10 years there Uh, it's a really unique school in terms of 79% of the students have actually English as an additional language so literally every class you got was going to be so different to the, you know, the class you had previously and the next ones that would come in. Um, it's a convent school, you know, and a lot of people thought, oh God, you know, that's going to be very religious and, you know, it must be very straight-laced over there. But, you know, we actually have, I don't even know offhand like how many religions and um, different backgrounds we have in the school, but it was one of the most diverse places, probably, that, you know, you could walk into in Dublin. And, With such an inclusive, welcoming environment, um, that I I really will miss it. Um, but yeah, focus on my new role. Hopefully, it'll be as plain sailing as possible. I imagine, you know, it'll be a a baptism of fire in the first year. But fortunately, having a few years' experience already, I should be able to, um, maybe blend in and get on with it. Um, but I'll definitely be keeping up the blog. Um, you know me. If I'm (laughs) if I'm not busy, I'm bored.
0: Will your blog be? more about lecturing now, or will still be
1: about teaching? I don't know because I'm lecturing in education, I'm going to keep it teaching based. That's what my following has been built up on, and um, I'm not just going to jump topics now. Everything is pretty much literacy and play based learning on my blog, so it'll still be that, and I, like, I'll like i still be sharing those kind of ideas.
0: What's the best thing about being a teacher?
1: No day is the same, it's the most rewarding. Um, career I, I think that you could have um, nothing is ever predictable and uh, there's something to learn every day. There's a light bulb moment in every lesson. Uh, if you're not getting a buzz off it then I don't think you should be doing it. Um, you're in such a privileged position with a bunch of learners in front of you who you know should be hanging on your every word. We're not there to keep them busy. we're there to inspire them and foster a true love of learning and I think that's an amazing thing.
0: Well thanks Clara for uh, doing this podcast. I know that the listeners will learn a lot from what you have to say.
1: It was my pleasure. Thanks, Dara.
0: And that's where we'll leave it for now. Sincere thanks to Clara for agreeing to feature on this episode. You can find Clara's blog at www.littlemissteacher.com where you'll find great ideas for your classroom. Please consider subscribing to the podcast through your preferred platform. And if you get a chance please leave a review through the Apple Podcasts platform. You can see what I think about education by visiting my blog at www.matterseducational.ie Feel free to follow Matters Educational on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. As always, if you'd like to feature on the podcast, drop me an email at matterseducationalireland at gmail.com or get in contact with me via social media.